Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I am the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And I still want to thank our new sponsor, Electa. So you can visit electa.com, E-L-E-K-T-A.com for more information. But without their support and support of so many people that, that send little donations our way, this show would be nearly impossible to keep on the air. So we really appreciate all of that. And before we get started with our guests today, I want to just talk for just a moment about obstacles. You know, we all face things in our lives. And I don't care, you could be on the best roll of your life. You know, you could be heading down the right path, doing the right thing, you're on a roll, and then suddenly some obstacle comes up and just kicks you in the face. And, you know, those things are hard to overcome sometimes. But I'm kind of a sappy person. I've got little sappy signs around my my office here. One is a, I have a friend, Gail, who paints rocks, and I love it. She paints these rocks, and she gave me one that says, keep looking forward. Okay, sappy sign, but, you know, sometimes that's what we just need to do. And then she did another one that says, humor, happiness, and hope. And, of course, that's my theme when I go out and speak. And, you know, that, and that actually really means something to me. Um, I have another one that says 20 seconds of incredible bravery. And sometimes in order to overcome something that's really bothering us, maybe we maybe we had a fight with somebody or had some stupid disagreement that's just really eating at us and we wallow in it and we fuss over it and we do all this stuff. But really, maybe to resolve the problem, we just need 20 seconds of incredible bravery. The kind that... that kicks you in the butt and says, open your mouth and say something. And maybe the thing you say is just, we need to talk, <laughs> you know, and it just opens the conversation. And rather than sitting there just internalizing whatever it is that is in your way. So, you know, I love sappy signs, like I said, uh, that, but they do mean something to me. And I think that all of us need those little sappy signs from time to time, just to remind us that we're not alone. Um, we've all been through junk and we will continue to go through junk in our lives but you know just try to find a way to look forward and and if you can actually take those signs those little sappy signs that you see and have them mean something it's really helpful I have one sign I hope I don't offend anyone with this somebody gave me the sign one time it says breast cancer cancer touched my breast so I kicked its ass (laughs) that's my favorite sign I love that one it just reminds me how strong I am and sometimes we need to, to be reminded of the strength that we have. So with that, I am going to introduce our guest today who wrote a book, a beautiful book called 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient. And he is really all about overcoming obstacles. And these obstacles he's overcoming and helping us overcome is how to get through this cancer mess and come out the other side of it much healthier. So he is back for part two of the 12 keys. He was my guest on February 5th, but is back today to finish the conversation we started. Patrick Quillen 
is the author of 18 books. I'm so impressed with that. I I wrote one. It was hard. (laughs) He's an internationally recognized expert in the area of nutrition and cancer. He has 40 years experience as a clinical nutritionist, 10 of which were spent as as the vice president of nutrition for the Cancer Centers of America, where he worked with thousands of cancer patients in multiple hospital settings. Welcome, Patrick. I'm so glad you're back on my show today. Thank you, Becky. Thank you for sharing your listeners. Well, we are excited to have you. So, you know, I know that I usually have our guests kind of tell about themselves, but, you know, Patrick, we covered all that back on February 5th. So, you know, people can go back and listen to that episode. I just kind of want to jump right in with you because we we got cut short last time, which is why you're back and because you have so much to contribute. So let's let's just kind of go right into it. You okay with that? Absolutely. <clears throat> Good. Well, the one thing I did want to ask you last time that I never actually got around to, because I've heard this term, I don't know that I've ever had it done, actually, in all my five times, um, but maybe you can explain to us what it is and why they do it, And but what is the, the term tumor debulking? What does that mean, and why do we do that? I will answer your question, and if you don't mind, I'd like to jump back into your very uh, insightful and uh, encouraging prologue in which you talked about uh, inspiring people, but tumor debulking. What you have is a tumor that could be the size of a golf ball, baseball, tennis ball, whatever, and tumor debulking means we're going to go in and try and use chemo, radiation, or surgery uh, to try and remove some of this tumor bulk. Uh, An example would be a lumpectomy in a uh, breast cancer surgery. We're going to take out the lump that's the size of a golf ball, and we're hoping that there's no metastasis to the lymph nodes, and that would be tumor debulking. Um, Typically happens when you have a tumor that is obvious and localized, uh, when you have something in which uh, sometimes you have tumors in the abdomen, uh, uterine cancer, in which it looks like there's a lot of BBs, and you can't really debulk it, you using uh, surgery. So the oncologist uses the term tumor debulking to talk about how can we reduce the mass? Let's get it down from the size of, and of course they're using uh, the metric system, centimeters, but let's just say it's two inches in diameter versus uh, getting it down to, uh, we've extracted all of the visible mass and now we're going to use chemo and radiation to uh, eliminate what we hope are the remaining tumor cells. That's a typical uh, description of tumor debulking. And my only hope hope with uh, our listeners and their doctors is that they use rational and restrained tumor debulking. And what I mean by that is if you had mice in your garage and you put a hand grenade in the garage and blew it up, <laughs> you got rid of the mice, but you don't yeah. have a garage anymore. And that's good, what good visual. I like that. That can happen too often in unrestrained tumor debulking. The uh, oncologist uses the phrase maximum sublethal chemotherapy to say we're going to give you just shy of what it takes to kill you and hoping that we can eliminate tumor cells. Uh, they might do the same thing with radiation. So uh, oftentimes those. Uh, cowboy approaches to unrestrained tumor debulking have been found to be unnecessary and reduce the quality of life for the patient. So there's your tumor debulking. Now let me come back to your very uh, uplifting uh, prologue talking about inspiring patients. Um, I'm guessing that most of the people listening to this uh, either have cancer, had cancer, past tense, or have a loved one with cancer. This is not something that people listen to as part of the sports page. And so 
we're, we're hoping to offer some insight. Uh, you had some good aphorisms or bumper stickers there. Uh, let me offer another one. This comes from the Tao Te Ching, which was written 400 years before Christ, and it's a magnificent collection of very wise sayings, and one of them is, new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. Let me say that again. New beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. Uh, Oftentimes, I have had cancer patients stand up at a lectern, a podium, and say, cancer is the best thing that ever happened to my life. Mm-hmm. And when you get up off the floor, what they say is, I did not appreciate myself, my body, my friends. I did not look at time as being limited. For all of us, it's limited. If you live to be 100, you still have a limited amount of time. And so cancer patients are faced with this awakening, a new beginning in which they get to rethink their life, how they treat their body, their friends, what they consider important issues. Um, For instance, John McCain, a former senator from uh, Arizona, ran for president, died not too long ago, was a POW in Vietnam for five years. And when he returned from Vietnam, he said, every day with door handles on the inside is a good day. And oh, wow. So what cancer patients get to start thinking about is, you know, I actually felt better today. I had a week of nausea from the chemo, and I felt okay, and that's good. Uh, so you start comparing things. But most of the time, what I find with cancer patients is there's a radical recalibration that goes on in their life, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And so I'm hoping that our people who are listening to this will take into consideration my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient, has several chapters on the subject of how you can use your mind to help improve your odds of beating this cancer. And that, let me go back and mention that, Tao Te Ching, new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. Let this be the new beginning of a much better you. I love that. I lo- and you know, and I just want to speak to your book. It it's a beautiful book. Lots of pictures because pictures are always kind of fun. That helps tell the story. Um, but you have such incredible content, you know, in here. And I'm just when you sent me your copy of it, I was just very, very blessed. So I I really ur- urge people to pick this up and look at it. And thank you for adding your comments to you know kind of my opening statement. Um, there, I, I refer the, to this one little book that I bought years ago <clears throat> quite often. And there was one little saying in this little book that says, we're all terminal. Some of us are just lucky enough to know it. And I think that is truly what a cancer diagnosis does for us, is it it just reminds us that life does not go on indefinitely. And how do we want to live whatever time is left? And if we have people we need to make amends to, people we need to pull back into our lives, people we've lost touch with, you know, things that we've always wanted to do but never got around to. I mean, you suddenly start to realize that, you know, this is it, folks. You get one shot through this. And um, and let's make the most of it as the best we can. And, you know, and rather than just go through life reacting to stuff all the time, you know. Becky, so, if I might offer an inspirational <clears throat> anecdote. This is a true story about okay. a patient who I did not work with, who did not have cancer, and nevertheless teaches us a great deal about the healing power of the human body and mind. Galen Clark went to Yosemite Valley in 1842 
to die of end-stage tuberculosis. In that era, tuberculosis was the number one cause of death. It was their cancer and heart disease combined. And he was coughing up blood and chunks of his lungs. And his doctor said, get your affairs in order. There's no cure for this. You're going to die in two to six months. So Galen Clark reasoned, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well be happy. And so he went to... Yosemite Valley, which he considered the prettiest place he had ever seen. So he gets to Yosemite, and the first thing he does is he carves his own tombstone. He accepted death. That's a good thing to do. Uh, Then he started doing what he wanted every day, which was plant trees, create trails, save this precious Yosemite Valley. Then he started eating food that was available in the 1840s, which was wild game, Uh, fish, deer, uh, some fruit, a little bit of grain, uh, a lot of intermittent fasting, fresh water. And he didn't die uh, two months later. He died 54 years later at the age of 96. A true story. And so what I offer people is your body has an extraordinary ability to heal itself. And it's what the scientists refer to as nonspecific host defense mechanisms. How do we get well? How is it that, you know, let's just talk about this coronavirus right now that some people are concerned about. Uh, The experts tell it it has maybe a 2 to 10% mortality rate. So it's something similar to the flu. And you would say, well, then shouldn't we be concerned about it? And I said, if you keep your immune system in good shape and use good caution, no, you should not be concerned about it. Because the reason you and I are walking around is because our immune system recognizes and destroys invaders. We are all surrounded by not millions, not billions, but trillions of abnormal cells that we breathe in every day, bacteria, fungus, virus. We have a hundred trillion cells in our gut, any one of which could cause our demise if things go out of whack, out of balance. And so the point is we have this extraordinary nonspecific host defense mechanisms or basically how your body maintains itself. And that's what my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient is all about is maximizing your body's ability to heal and restore itself while you're working with your doctor. I'm not talking to anybody about divorcing your oncologist, but you can get well. (laughs) Well, you know, and now to our listeners, can you see why I have this man back on our show? You are just so inspiring and and I, I'm just loving everything you're saying to us right now. So let's, before we run out of time, we only have three minutes left in this first segment. Um, let's talk about exercise because that's key number five. We went through keys one through four last time. We did not get to key five, which is about exercise. And why don't you just talk about exercise for a few minutes? Well, I'm going to tell our listeners, I have a, uh, a drug and it's in a bottle right here in front of me. It's got an RX on it. And this drug will allow you to lose weight to your optimum weight. There's no side effects. This drug will make you happier, healthier, and more alert. So what it does is it tranquilizes you at the same time that it stimulates your mind to be more alert and cognitive. It also detoxifies your body. It also lowers fats in the blood. It extends lifespan tremendously. Uh, I could go on. It improves uh, regularity. So people have a bowel movement when they use this drug. And I could go on with a dozen more advantages. Side effects are none. Cost is zero. And the drug is exercise. Uh, (laughs) I had a feeling we were going there. (laughs) Yeah. 
what we have is, uh, I'll just uh, quote a paper, a Stanford professor, Walter Bortz, wrote in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 1987, he said, disease is from disuse of the body. Uh, right now, two-thirds of Americans admit to no exercise and not more than coincidentally, two-thirds of Americans are overweight. Uh, we find that right now some statistics about cancer. Uh, 1.6 million Americans will be newly diagnosed with cancer this year. 600,000 Americans will die from cancer this year. 24% of deaths in America are from cancer. These are all startling and intimidating statistics. In the year 1900, 1% of deaths were from cancer. This year, 24% of deaths will be from cancer. And among the many differences between our great-grandfather in 1900 and today is sedentary lifestyle. Some people say that uh, is coughing enough for exercise, and I'm being facetious, of course, but uh, if you, uh, 42% of Americans will get cancer in their lifetime, 24% will die from it. If you do nothing more than exercise 30 minutes, three times a week, you've cut your risk for cancer in half, just wow. doing that alone. And just to give our, our listeners some ideas of well, what does it do? Uh, many studies have looked at cancer patients who are going through chemo, radiation, and surgery and are given an exercise program, and they find quality of life improves dramatically. Quantity of life improves. Uh, the many side effects from chemo, which are oftentimes uh, anemia, nausea, uh, are often reduced just by exercising while you're going through your program. But now let's look at the business of, well, what are the mechanisms? In an animal study, researchers gave, implanted tumors in mice, and then they put one group on a treadmill where they could run free on this exercise wheel. The other group was not allowed an opportunity for an exercise wheel. And what they found is the group that had the cancer all, of course, died not too long after they implanted the tumor. But the group that got the exercise wheel, what they found was there was a 60% reduction in the size and number of tumors in these animals simply by exercising. And they did extreme, extensive, in-depth analysis of the blood and tissue of these animals trying to figure out what's going on here. They found a dramatic uptick in natural killer cells with exercise. And what we're finding is uh, Exercise stimulates all of those benefits that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. And a person who's not exercising is asking for cancer, heart disease, hypertension, stroke, diabetes, fatty liver disease, kidney disease, because it's coming. So I'm hoping that you can find some exercise that's fun. Let's just start with the simplest thing, walking. Let's move into another one that's a little more complicated, biking or dancing or swimming or yoga and I could go on, pickleball is becoming very popular now. Pick a sport, anything that you like as long as you're moving it, and you will find yourself happier, healthier, you sleep better, and it lowers the risk for cancer dramatically. Let me ask you about yoga, because I know a lot of people are really into yoga, and and do you equate that with, with the same, I mean, when you talk about walking and then you talk about yoga, are they equal? I mean, yoga tends to be a little bit more low-key. I guess there's different kinds of yoga, too. But That's true. Um, uh, 
There's many different types of yoga. It's thousands of years old. The benefits have been proven beyond argument from the National Cancer Institute, the National Institutes of Health. And you're right. You would say, well, I went out on a 15-minute vigorous walk, and then I came back, and my friend was still sitting on her mat and in front of the yoga TV screen doing her yoga. Is that the same thing? And what we find is the benefits of yoga are a little bit more subtle. You're not necessarily going out and burning calories, but if you do it right, the stretching, the stimulation of the lymphatic system, the stretching of the spine so that you have actually energy alignment. One of the chapters in my book talks about energy alignment and how we are the body electric. And among the many benefits of yoga is to get a flow of the chi or the energy in your body. So yes, the benefits of yoga are there. Okay, that's wonderful. Because you know what I think when we think about exercise, picture people picture you know trying to train for a marathon or something. We you're just talking about basically moving your body. Get up oh. off the couch and move your body somewhere, right? I mean, absolutely, Becky. And I half too- an hour a day, three days a week. I mean, yes. Uh, too many Americans think of exercise as that poor that poor jogger that I see when I'm driving home from work and he or she looks like they just had a corn cob enema. (laughs) They're looking in awful pain. I'm picturing that. (laughs) Anguished look, a red face, sweat rolling down. They're barely moving. And later on, they develop knee or ankle problems. Now, I'm all in favor of running. However, you have to have the right frame to run. What you find is that anybody other then a lean, ectomorphic build should not be doing distance running. Uh, our ancestors, our body is built for walking. It's not necessarily built for running. And I might point out, marathons are wonderful. I admire these people in their training. However, the first marathon was run by a Greek messenger, 26 miles, and he died when he arrived. So let's just keep that in mind. <laughs> Yes, let's let's do that. That's a good idea. Um, okay, so so just I mean we have a dog. We have a little dog that needs to go. He's we live in a dog friendly apartment, and he needs to go out for walks every now and then. And we live about five minutes away from a park. So if we take him down to the park and go around the track and come back, it's about a half an hour. You're saying that's good enough? Absolutely. You're doing a great thing for you cool. and your dog. And you'll yeah. notice that when people take their dog for a walk, what do they have to bring with them? Poop bags. <laughs> Lots of them. Why, because exercise stimulates peristalsis. And one of the things we find is that Americans are suffering from chronic constipation. So exercise helps to stimulate the flow, the uh, massaging of the muscles in the gut. And another chapter in my 12 Keys talks about the microbiome and how uh, death begins in the colon. And exercise helps to prevent that uh, problem from happening. So you and your dog both are better off with the 30 minutes out walking. Well, that's great. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, I said we were going to go out to break shortly. Well, we decided to skip this first break because we just have too much to talk about. So we're just going to kind of push on through here for a little bit. So, um, okay, so exercise, got that. That's great. And I love the way you describe it. And you kind of make me just want to go get my shoes on and go out as soon as I'm off this show with you. I'm um, going dancing today, Becky. Are you? What kind yeah, of dancing I, do you do? I've taken ballroom dance lessons Good for the for past you. year and a half. And so... Yeah? That there's 30 different types of dances you can study. I've studied seven of them, and I go out dancing two or three times a week. One of the studies on exercise looked at Alzheimer's, and this is a study from Albert Einstein Medical School in New York, and they found that people who participated in ballroom dancing at least once a week had a 73% reduction in the incidence of Alzheimer's disease. 
Really? If it was a drug, it would have been headlines around the world. What you're doing in dancing is you're coordinating the two hemispheres of the brain. You're touching a partner. You have to move like murmurations, two people moving as one. You're listening to music. Uh, You'll notice at the end of two hours of dancing, people have got a smile on their face. At the end of two hours of doing some route uh, on a a stationary bike or on a a stair climber, two hours of that, most people are exhausted (laughs) and have to lay down. But I feel good after that. And not smiling. Yeah, not not smiling for sure. Well, that's good. That's really good insight because I love to dance. I just, you know, just don't do it very often, but um, I do love to dance. My husband and I every now and then go out and, you know, just do our, our own version of ballroom dancing. <laughs> May not be officially exactly right, but it's fun. We have a good time. And for all intents and purposes, if you didn't know any better, you would think we knew what we were doing. So, you know, it's kind of it's kind of cool. But we always enjoy Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's perfect as long as you're moving. That's right. right. Yes. Moving and having fun. So that's, yes. that's very cool. Well, good. I, I, you are very motivating. So let's talk about detox because I know that they are probably very much connected. They are. And uh, toxins. If we could talk about our cancer epidemic, I mentioned that in the year 1900, 1% of American deaths were from cancer. This year, it's 24% of American deaths are from cancer. And some of the problem is because of our toxic burden. And I could list chapter and verse about the toxins, but right now there's 80,000 chemicals available worldwide, of which 60,000 Americans are exposed to on a regular basis. Almost none have been tested for their safety, and the few that have been tested, most are considered questionable. For instance, um, glyphosate, Roundup, uh, used on most crops throughout America. It's a weed killer. It's an herbicide. It was first patented as a boiler cleanser. In other words, it's a, a very powerful detergent. Second patented as an herbicide. Third time patented as an antibiotic, meaning it kills bacteria. And here's the kicker. While the experts will say that uh, Roundup, just one of the thousands of poisons we are exposed to, Roundup cannot affect a human cell. In fact, it affects the 100 trillion microorganisms in your body. And because of that, there is now 12,000 lawsuits pending against Bayer Monsanto for uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other health problems. That's just one of those 60,000 chemicals. Let me give you another study. The Environmental Working Group uh, about five years ago did a study in which they took the placental blood. This has nothing to do with abortions, but after a baby is born, there's the placenta. And they took the blood from that, from 10 uh, consecutive infants, and they did extensive chemical analysis. They looked for 300 different chemicals, and of those... They found 287 of these chemicals in the uh, placental blood of these newborns, of which 200 of these caused nerve problems and 187 caused cancer, including Scotchgard and other things um, that were in the blood of these newborns. This is brand new babies. Uh, We could talk about uh, the 2,800 different uh, FDA-approved food additives. Uh, Toxins are a serious problem in American culture. Uh, There are many different ways of avoiding toxins. Let's just start with uh, go organic. Whenever possible, buy organic produce. 
if you can support your local uh, farmers market, many of them will say they'll say no spray. If they say organic, it generally doubles the price of the produce because there's very extreme uh, requirements someone must pass in order to be called organic. But the toxins we are exposed to, I'll just give you the categories. Let's start with chemicals, volatile organic chemicals. Um, I remember the horrific thing that happened down in the Gulf when which uh, uh, literally millions of gallons of crude oil were dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we can talk the fact that right now most fish in the ocean are polluted with plastics and mercury. Uh, but let's volatile organic chemicals is category one. The next one is heavy metals. Mercury, lead, aluminum, cadmium, all of these are uh, uh, extreme cellular poisons that can cause cancer, immune suppression, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, etc. Uh, next category is um, auto intoxication. So what happens is if we do live a very poor lifestyle, we eat the wrong food, we don't have regular bowel movements, then our gut generates, it's like a still, it's like generating um, what are called postbiotic uh, substances, and then we absorb them in our bloodstream, and these are extremely toxic. We can poison ourselves from within if we're living an unhealthy lifestyle. Next category is electromagnetic fields, and what we're talking about is Wi-Fi, cell phones, uh, microwaves, all of the things that we're exposed to. There are some concerns about 5G cell phone towers as being uh, damaging to the uh, DNA. The next category is uh, radioactivity. Uh, and that is something that, I guess, starts with things like uh, 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 the Fukushima, the uh, uh, um, nuclear power plant in Japan that is spilling uh, millions of gallons of radioactive water. Uh, and so the categories of toxins becomes daunting. And rather than us, uh, you know, hiding under our blankets in a fetal position, what I ex expect is that people will start embracing the idea that we need to avoid toxins. Start with a cleaner, healthier lifestyle. Uh, and it's all in my book. There's a whole chapter on the toxins. They come into our body through air, food, water, and electromagnetic fields and auto intoxication. That's how they get into us. And then they are eliminated through urine, feces, sweat, breath, and through uh, other means such as using things like milk thistle or salimarin to help detoxify the liver. So it's a, a broad, wide, deep subject that needs to be dealt with or our cancer epidemic will keep getting worse. And the ironic part is that chemo and radiation are carcinogenic in themselves. And so I'll go back to my comment earlier in our show when I mentioned tumor debulking. You need an oncologist who uses restrained tumor debulking so that they do more benefit rather than causing a downstream problem of a secondary tumor from the chemo and radiation. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I don't want us to run out of time. So we've, we've covered uh, keys five and six, which are exercise and detox. And oh my gosh, that's really scary stuff that what you're talking about with, with the all the toxins and things. I mean, we just don't think about all of that and so you you're really an eye-opener thank you for share for sharing that let's talk about microbiomes which is key eight we covered seven last time so microbiomes i know you mentioned it um you know at the beginning of our conversation can you talk a little bit more about what is it and um and why is it important it's a fascinating subject. Um, Hippocrates, 2,400 years ago, considered the father of modern medicine, said, all diseases begin in the gut. 
1906, uh, Eli Mechnikoff, who won a Nobel Prize in Medicine, is considered the father of modern immunology for his study on the immune system. And he said, all diseases begin in the gut. And we fast forward to the 1990s when uh, researchers uh, were able to look at the DNA in humans. And what they found is that humans have got about 23,000 genomes. Rice has got about 45,000 genomes. And they said, wait a minute, you mean rice is more sophisticated than a human? And then they looked further and they found, no, wait a minute. A human body is about 37 trillion cells, but we have 100 trillion microbes in our gut, and the DNA from those microbes makes up the complexity of the human being. So you are more something else than yourself, and that's sort of a complex way of saying you've got 100 trillion voting board members in your gut, Oh God! and (laughs) for better or for worse, they're part of your health. And so what it comes down to is there, uh, here's three simple ways of looking at it. Prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics. Prebiotics means resistant starches or fiber. This is the stuff from your food that these little critters chew on. So when you eat plant food, you're getting a lot of prebiotics into your gut and you're feeding your friendly bacteria in the gut. That's pre before. The probiotics are healthy, friendly bacteria in your gut. They're going to chew on this stuff and they're going to give off friendly byproducts called postbiotics. And these things include everything from hydrogen to butyrate and many more. They make uh, vitamin K, they make biotin. They have what's called crosstalk. And so in the gut, these microorganisms are generating a, an abundance of byproducts and they hit the uh, cell, the intestinal lumen and they cause crosstalk between these microbes and the intestine and our brain. There's a fascinating book called Gut and Psychology Syndrome in which a, uh, a, a physician from England had a child, a young boy, two years old, who developed autism, a very severe debilitating disease in which the child seems to withdraw from the planet Earth. And she couldn't use anything in her MD quiver to help her child. But she reasoned that all of these autistic children have some gut dysbiosis. So through diet, she was able to fix her son's gut dysbiosis and completely reverse his autism. Basically, the whole business of the gut microbiome is the future of medicine. And what it comes down to is eat a diet rich in plant food, which is the prebiotics, get some fermented food, which I'm talking about, yogurt, sauerkraut, kimchi, all of those are probiotics. Do not take in unnecessary antibiotics because they kill off all the friendly bacteria in the gut and then allow for yeast overgrowth. And then watch the abundance of friendly postbiotics that makes you healthy. And that is how we're going to help stop our cancer purge. You know, and I know we hear a lot about the overuse of antibiotics in this country. I mean, people take them for everything, and and it's really causing problems, and you're describing, and I assume this is the problem that we're referring to. Absolutely. What we have, back to the 100 trillion microbes in the gut, antibiotics, anti means against, biotic means life, and of the thousands of antibiotics that have been tested and experimented with, only about a dozen are safe enough to use in the human body, and the most hyperallergenic substance on the planet Earth is an antibiotic, penicillin. 
people react to that with anaphylactic shock and die. And so what we have is, in America, we consume about 60 million pounds of antibiotics. 30 million pounds come into us uh, indirectly by the use of uh, animal husbandry. So cows, pigs, sheep, chicken, all of them get antibiotics to try and keep them alive in what is a uh, inhumane situation and also to make them gain weight faster. Antibiotics cause animals to gain weight faster. And we eat that through the milk and meat unless you get organic or free range. The other 30 million pounds we get through prescriptions of which the Center for Disease Control says at least 30% of antibiotic prescriptions are inappropriate. If you have a viral infection, the flu, and your doctor gives you an antibiotic, it's probably inappropriate because the flu is a virus and antibiotics will only affect certain bacteria. But what they may be doing is creating a dysbiosis in the gut. There was a pivotal book that came out, The Missing Diagnosis, in the 1970s from an Orion Truss, a medical doctor in Alabama. And what he noticed that, with the enthusiastic use of antibiotics, along had come this epidemic of autoimmune diseases. And what's happening is, as we kill off the friendly bacteria in the gut, we allow for a fungal overgrowth, which then can be the beginning of autoimmune diseases. And there's very clear evidence to support this. So much that says we're doing this to ourselves, huh? Yes. And uh, I think what we have to do is respect Mother Nature that uh, we have been given this extraordinary body. And if you maintain it properly, it will serve you well for the better part of 80 to 100 years. Hippocrates lived to be 88. Back then, that was 2,400 years ago. Ben Franklin lived to be 83. That was in the 1700s. We could move on to, you know, people can live to be 100 quite healthily if they take care of their body. And that's what my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient, is all about. Well, you know, we have to go out to break. As much as I want to keep going and skip the break, we have a wonderful new sponsor that we must hear from. So I, um, we do need to take a short break. When we come back, I want to ask you a question about, I guess, cancer and discrimination, because we all know those people that they eat right, they exercise. I mean, I know some that have run marathons and, and they're, they're fit, they're, they're just in perfect health, it seems, and then they get cancer. And when we come back from break, I would like to hear your, your conversation on that, okay? Yes, yes. So let's stay tuned. We'll be back in a, in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. 
Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the 12 keys to a healthier cancer patient with our guest author, Dr. Patrick Quillen. And before we, we move on to this next little segment, if you are enjoying our radio show, please, please, please invite your friends to like it as well, subscribe to it. Um, we're trying to build our audience. We do have a global audience, which is very exciting. Um, write a review. When you go find our, our spot, you can uh, download us on pretty much any podcast that's out there. But do consider writing a review and invite your friends. Also, um, this show stays alive because we have donors and people who keep it alive. So consider making a $20 and 20 cent donation in honor of the year 2020. And this is our 20th anniversary. So any of those donations all go directly to in support of the radio show. So I really encourage you to do that. We thank you so much for listening. Um, And even if that's all you do is listen, listen and talk about it. So we love that and learn from it because we can all be happier and we can all be healthier. So um, with that, Patrick, um, you know, and I want to tell my listeners, we, we have about three more keys to cover, but rather, and I love the way he said this, he says, rather than flying over France and acting like we saw it, we're going to just take these slowly and thoroughly, and then he's already agreed to come back again on March 11th, so we'll have him back one more time. So, all right, with that, um, Dr. Quillen, let's talk about key 10, unless there was more to talk about with microbiomes. Well, you mentioned an issue about is cancer a racist issue? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Okay, so we all know people that have survived um, lots of things. They eat right, they're healthy, they run, they're marathon runners. I mean, I know one lady in particular, I can see her face right now, beautiful lady, marathon runner, got cancer, breast cancer. Why, even though they're doing everything they can to eat right, take care of their bodies, why is it that that cancer still attacks those people and what's going on there well uh, uh, cancer is non-selective it attacks all races all creeds uh, men and women with great uh, enthusiasm if 
we allow it to. And I'd like to point out that the experts tell us that at least 90%, if not more, of all cancer is lifestyle-induced. And that's what my book is about. Five to 10% of cancer is genetic. Um, Angelina Jolie uh, elected to have a prophylactic mastectomy because her mother died of breast cancer. And that was her choice. And her doctor made a certain recommendation. But the experts tell us that 90 to 95% of cancer is lifestyle induced. That said, let's talk about is cancer a racist issue? Um, African Americans have a higher incidence of breast and prostate cancer, a higher incidence of diabetes and obesity. Let's talk about that. What's going on? One of the most pivotal nutrients in the human body is vitamin D. Vitamin D is produced by the action of sunlight on the skin. Uh, dark skin produces less vitamin D, which is understandable. You would think my ancestors came to America from Ireland around 1850, the potato famine, and uh, fair Irish skin is very light. And so in Ireland, in a uh, summer's day, which is not many of them, you can generate enough vitamin D to keep you healthy. If you take that same Irish skin and bring it to Southern California and I go out and burn myself too often, which I did, I have had to deal with skin cancer. Now we look at African Americans, people from Africa who have come to this country. Uh, the skin is darker because it protects them from the tropical sun so they don't have to worry about skin cancer. However, if you move to Boston or Baltimore and wear a suit all day and get no sunshine, then many people of darker skin have a blatant vitamin D deficiency. And this has been shown clearly in the scientific literature. So is cancer a racist issue? No, but uh, skin color dictates vitamin D production based upon your ancestors origin. So what we need to do is respect our differences and pay homage to them and make sure you work with your doctor and eat appropriately and if necessary uh, uh, African Americans need to take vitamin D supplements what's been shown is that vitamin D isn't even a vitamin it's more of a hormone it's more it regulates 20 percent of the human genome and it's absolutely crucial for preventing diabetes cancer heart disease, obesity, and depression, and many other conditions. So uh, one of the issues I discuss in my book, 12 Keys, is talking about vitamin D and its importance and sunshine. Actually, there's a section that deals with the issue of sunshine. Uh, for instance, uh, doctors will oftentimes mistakenly tell people, stay out of the sun, when in fact the most lethal of all skin cancers is melanoma. And the evidence shows that the people who are least likely to get melanoma are outdoor construction workers. So that in itself is a whole topic. But let's just go back to um, uh, whatever direction you'd like to head. I hope I addressed the issue. Yeah, let's talk more about vitamin D because I know that a lot of times, um, for, you know, I, I, I run short on vitamin D and I know they, they haven't, I've not heard anybody say yet that lack of vitamin D causes breast cancer. But interestingly enough, and kind of to your point, a lot of people with breast cancer have a low level of vitamin D. So I'm not sure one causes the other, but it certainly seems to be a, there seems to be a connection. So I take vitamin D supplements, but not as faithfully as I should be. And I think that is about to change. Um, but you 
say it's a hormone, it's not really a vitamin. I did not know that. Well, think about this. A vitamin is a substance required in the diet, and it performs essential metabolic functions in the body. That's the definition of a vitamin. You don't need to eat any vitamin D. You make it in your skin. We are photosynthetic creatures, and its functions in the body go way beyond vitamin function. It actually acts more like a hormone in regulating the DNA or helping to prevent breakage in the DNA, which is what is all about autoimmune conditions and cancer and many other dysfunctions. So um, to talk about and our, our, our brilliant listener right now is saying, wait a minute, if vitamin D is from the sun and that causes cancer, why doesn't every Eskimo get cancer? Good question. And what happens is they eat fish. They eat fatty fish. And in mm-hmm. the liver of fish is vitamin D. So what happens is the, these fish, uh, seals, whales, all of these creatures are eating microorganisms from the ocean which contain vitamin D. And then these creatures store the vitamin D in their liver. So when you eat fatty fish, you get a fairly therapeutic dosage uh, of okay. vitamin D. Okay. So you'd say, well, what about my ancestors from Ireland? Why didn't all of them get cancer in the wintertime? Because they ate fatty fish or they ate the liver of an animal which has vitamin D. So we're back to the business of, um, actually, the studies are beyond argument. For instance, uh, people who live in Boston versus San Diego have double the risk for breast cancer just because of sunlight. Okay, that makes sense. So vitamin D levels are critical, and when the doctor does your vitamin D blood level test, 11 means you're nearly dead, 20 means that you're very low, 40 means pretty good, and 80 means you're going to help yourself beat cancer. So these are nanograms per deciliter, but the numbers I'm giving you are fairly accurate. 80 is therapeutic, 40 is acceptable, uh, 20 is really bad, uh, and many people are below 20. I strongly encourage people, get your blood levels of vitamin D tested. Can you have too much? Uh, it's difficult, but yes, you can. Uh, I mean, the difference between a medicine and a poison is dosage. I'll give you some numbers. For many decades, the recommended dietary allowance of vitamin D was 400 IU, 400. Today, every expert says you need more like 2,000. You can get supplements of 10,000. If you go to the beach on a summer's day in a bathing suit, your body makes 10,000 IU in the skin, and then it shuts off production. But it takes roughly in the neighborhood of 100,000 IU to begin toxic levels. And yes, you can overdo it. I would certainly not recommend that. Work with a healthcare professional. But if you take 5,000 IU of vitamin D a day, you're doing your body a favor. So I was really low when they tested my vitamin D before I started taking supplements. I was really low. I was in the, I think, 23 range. Yes. And so they put me on, uh, I think I was taking either three or 5,000 IUs twice a day. And um, and we got my levels up to where it was like 95. Good. And then Excellent. and then he told me to, to go ahead and back down to one a day. Yeah. Um, and so I did. And then I kind of <clears throat> stopped being very consistent about it. But I still have some and I will go back to it because um, I didn't realize. I mean, you, you think about all the things it does. I mean, gosh, and depression. I mean, did, well, I, I guess that makes sense because you t- talk about people with a seasonal disorder where they yes. don't get enough sun. Yes. And 
So that's vitamin D related then. Absolutely. And, and I've, you know, I've claimed I have a, a, a bachelor's, master's and doctorate degree in nutrition. I'm a registered dietitian, a certified nutrition specialist, a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. I taught college nutrition for nine years, blah, blah, blah. I know my stuff. And basically what you have is about 50 nutrients that are officially considered essential in the human body, and that's vitamins, minerals, amino acids, fatty acids, etc., about 50. However, in a complex, healthy diet, there are thousands of substances. And let me ask you this trick question. On your automobile, what's the most important part of the car? Uh, well, it all works together. I can't imagine you, working. Exactly. And some people will say, well, my motor. I'll say, good. I'll give you a motor. Can you drive it home? And then they keep saying, well, what about a transmission? That's good. I'll give you that. The answer is all of it. Yeah. All of it works together. Oh, so, I'm so glad I answered that right. <laughs> trick question. You, you can step to the front of the class, Becky. And so when people say, well, then I need to focus on vitamin D. Yes, and everything else. This is where I'm going to give you another sound bite that's absolutely crucial. Lower your intake of sugar. Americans are dying for the excess of sugar we are consuming. The average American consumes 150 pounds of white sugar per year. Since I consume maybe 20 pounds a year, somebody else is getting almost 300 pounds to make up the statistical average. And there is overwhelming evidence that that sugar creates problems in insulin, insulin-like growth factor, uh, a host of problems with insulin resistance, which is the beginnings of heart disease and cancer. So we just spent a few minutes on vitamin D. I could spend an hour on each of those 50 essential nutrients, and then we could go on into the many of the others that are not considered essential yet, such as sulforaphane from cruciferous vegetables. There's overwhelming evidence that says that broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower have powerful anti-cancer nutrients in them. And if it was a drug, again, it'd be headlines around the world. So I'm, I'm encouraging our listeners, get my book, 12 Keys to a Healthier Cancer Patient. You'll see how complex and yet how simple nutrition can be. Well, you know what? This is a good place to end the show because we are, we're out of time, basically. And um, I am so glad that you're going to come back because when you come back on the 11th, we will talk more about um, how nutrition is key in cancer treatment. We talked a lot about nutrition on February 5th, a lot. We went through, you know, the a whole bunch of different conversations. So I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that episode um, now you've got this episode, and then when we come back, we'll finish this conversation. And uh, and then when we're done, we might have to have you back to talk about another book. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, but this is this is such great information. So when you come back on the on the eleventh, we'll talk about uh, nutrition and how we use that as the key in cancer treatment. We'll talk about the underlying causes of the disease, and then what is rational cancer treatment that will get us through keys 10, 11, and 12. So with that, I do want to ask you um, real quick, how do people buy your book? They're all on Amazon, as I recall. Yes, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any bookstore, health food store should have it or ask for it, and they'll get it. It's widely available. And do you have a website people can refer to if they want to know more about you or any, yes. any other resources? What, what's your website? Gettinghealthier.com. 
gettinghealthier.com. That's great. Great. And if you get the uh, the Kindle version of my book, you find that it's interactive. You can click on links and go oh, to the cool. original study. Very good. Well, with that, we are now we are completely out of time. So um, again, please download us, share us, write a review, whatever you want to do. Um, but until we will be back next week, and until then, remember there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.